You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange, the podcast with myself, Arthur Parkinson, and my good friend, Sarah Raven. Today, Sarah is off, but I'm joined by a fellow poultry fancier, Sabina Richardson, runs Feather and Egg, an incredible poultry breeding company where Sabina is rearing hundreds, if not thousands, of chicks and ducklings of pure breeds and rare breeds for sale, and they're all reared beautifully outside in these wonderful grassy pens and if you follow Sabina on her Instagram account Feather and Egg you'll see that she is mother hen not only to her own adorable little tots but also to weekly hatches of the most beautiful and exotic looking chickens and ducks. In this episode we're really going to explore the breeds that Sabina really loves and recommends for domestic keeping and why we should all be thinking about if we've got space and time about keeping more rare and pure breeds of poultry. So Sabina, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for inviting me. Pleasure. So I've followed you for a few years and you've been keeping poultry as a business, I think, from 2014. Is that right? That's right. Yes. Yeah. Did it did it start off as kind of like a, a backyard hobby? How did it evolve into this huge array because I've visited you you've got I think you've got about 50 different breeds of of hens and and ducks haven't you that you keep and breed from did you just start out like most of us just keeping a few hens I did yes so from from a young child I always kept many animals particularly horses and and hens Mm. not so much ducks or waterfowl but I just get a huge amount of enjoyment out of spending time with them caring for them and so like many, we sort of experimented with breeding from very very small numbers, and it yeah it's escalated somewhat. <laughs> so, yes. so over the years, it started with keeping them for purely the the, the taste of home produced eggs is is just something else, and and then really sort of get, mm. getting an interest in specific breeds and then wanting wanting to breed those at home on a hobby scale and then really in 2014 was when that became a bit more serious uh, a bit more planning in terms of putting breeding groups together yeah so so I, I visited you earlier on in the year and um, it certainly was anything but just a, a little coop of hens you'd got whole stable blocks full of the most beautiful groups of various chicks from freshly hatched right the way up to six weeks and then what I love about you is you get your birds out into the fresh air and grass very quickly don't you so almost like you're treating your your young chicks as if they're a crop of of lovely cosmos you're wanting to get them out from under the the heat lamps which they need at first to keep warm you get them out onto lovely grassy pastures don't you so that they're out in the the sunlight and fresh air and they're exhibiting all the the natural behaviors how how long did it take you to really sort of understand what chickens need on a large scale to rear them properly and to get them to be really healthy and robust birds for for sale to to customers? I think there's obviously elements of trial and error. One thing that I've always been quite passionate about is is rearing them outside and and rearing them on grass and you see how they 
develop mm. and their characteristics come through completely naturally. Even when you're putting them outside at six weeks old, they may be terrified, but after a couple of minutes and staying there watching them, they start displaying all the, the natural instincts that they that are inbuilt. So for me, the priority was to get things to a point where they were strong enough and healthy enough to be outdoors. So we we hatch in a season that is purely working with the weather. So really, we we spring hatch uh, through to midsummer, uh, and then we stop because we need we need the daylight and we need the sunshine to help them with that. And you know, while they're inside, we've had to experiment with different ways of keeping things like their surroundings really, really healthy. So whether that's choosing different beddings or, or choosing different drinking solutions, it's really, it's something else going from breeding as a hobby and having five chicks to having and being responsible for a thousand chicks, but it's really great fun. Mm. And what, what I noticed when I visited you was you have very good fox proofing by using what would traditionally be used for pheasant poults, you use these fencing panels, don't you? Which on Instagram, I'm always seeing you on a weekly basis, taking great effort to move. So your birds have always got fresh ground. Obviously, if you've got space, that's that's really easy to do. But for people in a domestic environment, what would you suggest they do to have a, a sweet smelling and, and nice looking chicken run? Because I know your, your breeding flocks during the summer, they're kept on, on wood chip, aren't they? They are. So whilst the hens are in their breeding pens, they're not that dissimilar to what I would imagine is possible for many people that would like to keep hens in their garden. So size-wise, they're in a group of five or six bantams, for example, would be in a space that's about 10 foot by 20 foot. Now, because our our area for these pens are surrounded by woodland, they're, they're beautifully sh- sheltered from, from the elements, but that does mean that we don't have good quality grass, unlike where we rear everything else, um, which is on lovely grassy fields. So we wood chip the ground in those runs twice a year. If, if it's particularly wet or if we've had ducks in any pens, then that's obviously replenished more often. And we, could, we use things like ground sanitising powders, which just keeps, keeps that really nice and fresh. Obviously, because we're surrounded by woodland, we get a lot of dry leaves falling as well, which kind of all contributes to that. But we don't want mud, <laughs> and um, and that 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 keeps it nice and suitable for the hens. Yeah, and and the subject of mud, I think, is the thing that puts a lot of people off keeping ducks. I've only kept ducks once, and that was when I had a, a walled garden um, at the Bridgewater factory, and I was lucky because I had a gravel, a large gravel area, and I used to have big galvanized tin baths which I treated as my duck baths so they didn't have holes in they were filled up every single day and luckily for me I had a, I had a drain um, in the garden that I used to tip all the water into and that prevented the duck bath area becoming a swamp and you have a lot of ducks don't you Sabina am I right in thinking that maybe you prefer your ducks to your hens I know ducks quite often people do tend to find a lot more characterful than chickens would you agree with that? It's a really tricky one I started with hens and I think like most poultry keepers that can then progress into the the waterfowl. I do love the ducks. I, I love the duckling phase and how, how it, I find it incredible how fast they they grow up and they mature. You know, many of them are fully grown by five weeks old, which is mind blowing. But I, I think that there are 
such strong personalities in hens, especially different breeds. It's it's a tricky one, but I I think I think hens are still up there for me. Mm. But the, the ducks are not far behind, especially some some breeds in particular. Oh, okay. <laughs> and you have you have quite a few rare breeds. Um, I know there's one breed of hen which is a French breed called um, a Faverolle, which I knew about. But you've really helped to fly the flag of the Faveroles, haven't you? There. They're quite a wonderful docile bird, aren't they, for the back garden? And they've got these little feathered cheeks and you do them in different colours. What What is it when you're selecting what breeds to keep and breed that you really look for? Because obviously you have to be both commercial as well as sentimental, don't you, with the, the breeds that you choose to keep. What What would you say are your favourite breeds and what have been the most popular? So Favreau's. I, I do absolutely love. They have just the the most kind natured personality. They want to run up and see you. They're very gentle. I feel like they are a really good option if people have young children because they're not flighty. You know, it's, especially if families do have young children, it's really important for the children to be involved and to not be scared. So it's it's a great option to have. I can you know suggest a quieter, lovely temperament bird. And I think it's having the variety for me to be able to offer a variety of different bantams or standard size or heavy because they all have a different, slightly different purpose and vastly different personalities. So when choosing, I am very passionate about rare breeds and there are lots of maybe more common hens that may be quite easy for me to choose, but Personally, I feel that it's our duty really to preserve these breeds for, for for my children, for other people's children, to enjoy for future generations. And they really do have the most wonderful characters. It's it's enjoyable teaching people about them. Yeah. And what's great about the way you raise all these these chicks, albeit ducklings, is you mix the breeds, don't you? So that whole batch of of from one incubator, they all start life together, and that then means they're reared together. So you can then offer that selection of a mixed flock to domestic keepers isn't it whereas if you went to a say a farm park or maybe um and i wouldn't recommend this if you went to a poultry auction and you were buying birds from different flocks or different cages they then wouldn't have a a pecking order that was already in existence and that's quite often i think where people run into problems because if hens haven't been reared together they they will bully one another when they're introduced to a new hen house so i see on instagram when you're doing your what you call your picking of of orders you're carrying armfuls of this and that because they've all been reared together so they all know each other don't they they do and i i think that when people are choosing their flock and it's really important and everybody's requirements are different but the one thing i've made possible for people is that they can have a, a blue Pekin Bantam with a Frizzle Polish and a Salmon Favreau. And even if they want to add a couple of enormous Cochins or Brahmas, then that dynamic will work because they have been reared together and they have been given space to bond and to have, they will have their own pecking orders and there will be some squabbling, but they generally, they can be mixed and matched. Now, there are times where people selections may need to be guided a bit <laughs> if you have sort of a feistier breed mm-hmm. then you may decide not to pair that with something that's maybe more vulnerable and low and towards the lower end of the pecking order yeah i'm glad you mentioned feistiness and also flightiness i think it's a big consideration for domestic people in urban spaces i'm currently trying to teach half a dozen cream leg bars to roost in a very posh expensive hen house but they're choosing to go into the top of a mulberry tree 
So I know you offer breeds which are heavy, that have smaller wings, like your your copper black Morans and your huge Baramas and your Cochins with feathered feet, all very heavy birds. So they would be more suited, wouldn't they, to a, a domestic setting. But equally, I think if you're going to keep birds free range in a farmyard situation or an orchard, your lighter, more Mediterranean breeds are going to be better, aren't they? They are absolutely. And and some individuals really, really like the sort of the hardier breeds that they're happy to roost up in trees or, you know, they want them for the eggs. So they, they'll want something like a, a leg bar or aracuna or a moran, but mm-hmm. they maybe not, won't be the type that come and sit on your lap and look after your lawn because it's just slightly different natured bird. Yeah. We're, we're recording this in November, actually. So I know your flocks at the moment, you've, you've stopped hatching because obviously all your breeding birds lay most of their eggs from from late spring into early summer and so you've got all your your summer hatchlings are still growing haven't you all for sale but then your your breeding flocks you you give your hens some time off from their husbands don't you so i know at the moment all your your cockerels have become bachelors tell me about how you how you deal with all your bachelor cockerels when they all get put together and all your hens go off on holiday so i, I think this is an important part about hen keeping is with pure breeds that they they do take a break they do need a break so they do stop laying uh, for a short period through the colder darker months and they they can go into a molt some will go into a very heavy molt which means they they sort of lose their feathers they grow new feathers to prepare themselves for the winter months and at that point or just before that point really I decide to take all the hens off on their little holiday so they go out onto the big grassy paddock they all live together bantams, medium-sized, heavies, all live together out um, in a big field with a very large shed. And they have their R&R, which is very well deserved. And they stay out there until we're ready for them sort of after Christmas. The boys then get split up into their various bachelor pens and, and they live absolutely fine together because they, they don't have any competition. There, there are no ladies around. All the wives are well out of sight. So boys are fine so long as they haven't got anything to compete for so we we group them put by size basically we there's the odd one that's maybe a little bit too characterful that has to live with maybe one friend because they yeah it's slightly aggressive but (laughs) obviously that's the very smallest of them all Mm -hmm. but there we go And your your hen houses, because I've I've visited you as I've said, and you have these these interesting uh, hen houses which are made of plastic. They almost look like pig ox, don't they? That your your individual breeding groups all roost in. Is that your design of choice? Do you do you find that's a really good design for for all the different breeds you keep? Do you find that that design suits all the different breeds? Because certain breeds of hens will not want to climb ladders, for example, will they? Yeah, so it does vary slightly. We use different models for the different breeds. But as a whole, we are, all of our houses are made entirely from recycled plastic for a number of reasons, really. But we we moved to plastic in 2014, always recycled plastic, because it lasts, seems to last forever. You know, some of ours are, are really old and you couldn't tell that they were more than six months old. So Whilst it was an investment, you know, they should last a very long time. They're easy easy for us to clean and to keep on top of some of the husbandry bits and pieces like red mite if, if it rears its head. But 
yes, it's most are fine with going up ladders and, and being raised off the ground, but but some some breeds are not so happy. So whilst we do raise all of our houses off the ground to prevent vermin, basically, they may just have a block rather than a ladder. Mm, a little stepping stone. <laughs> yes. And I'm glad you mentioned vermin, because I think that's one thing that is often in the minds of people, particularly people who don't keep hens. You've got hundreds of birds. How how do you stop your, your beautiful poultry palace becoming what could possibly become infested with rats? What are your top anti-rat tips for people who've just got a few hens in the garden? I think with any vermin, the best thing is prevention. So, you know, keeping food out of the way, you know, when you lock your hens away at night, many people actually put their feeders away as well so that you're not leaving food out. And storing your feed in rat-proof bins, so metal bins with lids, and then making sure the houses are raised up so you're you're not creating a nice little habitat for somebody to go and live under. Mm. And the, the other main villain of, of poultry keeping is, of course, the fox. And I know that all around your perimeter of your land, you, you use electric netting, don't you? How, how do you use that electric netting to be effective? Because I'm on the, the verge of starting to use electric fencing where I've got my hens. But I do find it quite confusing. What, what's the best technique of using it? So where we are on the farm now, we are off grid because... Sort of the, the land where we keep all the hens, there's there's no plug. <laughs> there's nowhere to, to, you know, go and plug in any electric fencing. So we have a, a solar panel. You can get very small little solar panels that connect to a battery. And that just stops the fear of the batteries going to run out of charge. So the solar panel charges the battery so that there is always power even when it's dark. So we use a single strand at the bottom, double strand at the top of the pens so our our, our pens are they're very tall they're about six foot tall and that does deter Mm. mr fox obviously we have had fox attacks in the past but it's normally due to an error trial and error unfortunately right and as i said we're recording this in november and as most autumns in the past we have started to get outbreaks of bird flu so i know that you've been covering over as many of your pens as possible with with netting obviously you've got a lot of chickens how do you stop wild birds being attracted are you feeding all your birds inside the hen houses if you've got scarecrows what how are you preparing for a possible bird flu outbreak where we're ordered to bring all of our chickens inside for the remainder of the winter and how would that affect you personally so when we prepared for it last year i still had many of my hens at home but as i've as I've grown and outgrown breeding at home, I now tenant on another farm. So we're very much still in the preparation phase of that at the farm, whereas at home, everything was completely netted. And um, obviously, we had to prepare for it last year. So we had got everything under control. But obviously, now we've got larger spaces, we've got more birds. So we are we are doing everything that we did, but just on a larger scale. So being careful about boot dips, um, disinfecting shoes. We only have customers come to a certain area and not walking all, you know, unnecessarily through areas. We feed inside mm. all the sheds. We don't have feeders out outside in the, on the fields. And we are netting every pen. So the majority of the 
of the breeding pens in the woodlands, they're they're all netted anyway. But all of the free range fields at the back, they are currently we're we're almost halfway through <laughs> netting. So if needed, everything could be moved under cover, you know, at the drop of a hat. Lots of catching and running, yes. but but they could be they could be kept covered and kept protected. <laughs> mm. And I, I will say, if by the time this is aired, hopefully not, if if we are ordered to keep our birds inside, what that means is simply keeping them under cover. It doesn't mean you've got to have your birds in your living room. They've got to basically be under cover, and that means them basically having a roof ten run or a netted ten run. But the best thing is always in my opinion to feed your birds inside the hen house because that's gonna not necessarily attract as many wild birds into your hen run and so as you're catching the the last of your your hatchback sabina what what birds are you looking forward to breed next year are you going to be getting any new breeds and what's been the most popular breed for you this year oh most popular so i as always, I like to change up the colours slightly. So I, I get to see I get to see what's popular, but also I have some of the rare breeds which I no matter you know, no matter what, I will be continuing to promote those and make those sort of av- available for people to to have and teaching people about them so that they would like to have them. So I will continue with the rare breeds that I currently have, such as the Favrol Bantam, the Aracanas, and then the heavier breeds like Cochins, Orpingtons, which you know, I'm really happy with how that has gone. I mean, we've we've almost sold, we have sold out of one color of the Favrol this year already, so it's it is working, <laughs> educating people on on these rare breeds. Fantastic. And yeah, there's a couple of tweaks in colors. So so some colors that for me as a breeder are quite fun for me to play with, to improve or to to introduce. Mm. And I'm adding one more one more breed for next year that that I've decided on, <laughs> but I'm I'm still deciding on a couple of others. Okay. <laughs> and um, so, how many birds do you end up with once you've sold off all your your summer hatches? You know what you you obviously are keeping. I'm imagining a cockerel and a spare cockerel of that breed, and then you have what a, a harem of probably six to to possibly a, a dozen hens for each cockerel. Yes. So in total, we have 33 breeding pens for the hens. So yeah, that's, we keep about two, 250 to 300 hens and cockerels sort of for our breeding groups. So those are our parent stock. They're the, wow. they're the, um, the parents. And then slightly less with the ducks. I think it's about 20, 20 breeding pens of similar numbers for the domestic ducks and a few geese as well. Hmm. And you've also got goats now, haven't you? How are the goats um, playing their part in your ever-expanding poultry enterprise? I know, I know you've had issues with nettles, and I've seen the goats being allowed into each wild pen, and they're grazing it, aren't they, for you? Yes, I was at the point where you know when I started this, I, I've always wanted to sort of work with nature, and and the land that we we took on. What you know, it's next to a stream. It's covered by woodland. I, I think it hadn't been maintained for a little while, so I, the easy thing would have been to go on it, go yeah. in and spray and reseed, probably. But that wasn't what I wanted to do. So, other than cutting back lots of the the, it was thistles. We had a real problem with lots of thistles. So thistles and nettles and brambles. Yep. So the goats play a part by eating all the thistles down and the brambles and the nettles they're not as keen on the nettles because they're a bit bitter 
but they'll <laughs> they will give them a go. Mm. And then after the after the goats have gone in and they eat all of those down, we send the geese through and the geese mow the grass. And then after that, then that that pen has basically been prepared. Obviously, if it needs to be reseeded a bit than it is, but um, yeah. at that point, it's it's a hundred times better than before, mm. and then it's ready for whether it's having hens or, or ducks. Wonderful. So, for someone at home who's got the space to try and keep the grass, would you recommend that they maybe give the hens as larger area and you know split it in half, perhaps, and keep? a section as sort of deep litter where the hen house is and then allow the grassed areas to be sectioned off and rested and re-sown? Is that how you'd manage hens if you just had, say, half a dozen and you wanted to keep the grass? Yeah, exactly. And I, I, I find that actually if they have enough space, then you don't need to reseed because the grass is, is mm. so resilient. So it, it is about, you know, if, if they want yeah. to free range, then and fantastic. And the, the space is a key thing, I think. Yes. You know, if, they're in a, if they're in a very small area, then obviously the, the grass can get churned up. And as they're digging for, for goodies like bugs and worms, then that, and that's going to take more of a, a kick. But generally, strip grazing is fantastic or, or free-ranging entirely is great as well. Mm. Yeah. You, you are quite unique in that you, you allow a courier service to transport your orders of, of live birds you use a very professional because i've had hens from you a very professional um courier service that normally deal with racing pigeons but um if someone places an order online with you for birds you can get them delivered in a beautiful feather and egg box can't you that you've scattered with them um, herbs and dried flowers and you get these beautiful lovely hens in their box or ducks if you want ducks delivered when when did you decide to take the business to that level because unlike america most places here you do have to go and and buy physically the birds but there's a lot of effort on your side to make sure the birds that you're sending out are are tip-top and healthy and I really admire you for for doing that and allowing people like me who don't drive and haven't got bags of time to just place an order online for for bantams at you know half 11 at night. I think it's very rewarding for me to see what customers get out of keeping hens whether that's you know, their egg supply or for if they have a young family, whether it's the first egg or the hundredth egg a child has collected, there's nothing like it. It's it's so fantastic. And 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 also from just um you know the the joy of keeping them or looking after them. And I think for me, making that available to as many people as possible, especially with the fact that I breed pure breeds and rare breeds, that's always been quite important for me. So adding the level of being able to send them has always been very important as well. And it really went Mm. back to when this all started, you know, when I took the plunge to turn from hobby to actually I want to make a business out of this because it was so hard for me to find the hens I wanted to find. And, you know, one weekend I'd be saying to my husband, oh, we've got to go to Leicestershire or Devon or because there's... (laughs) You know, they, there's a breeder there, but but it, but it was so hard to find, and and I I don't want it to be hard for people to find them. I think yeah. they're lovely creatures, and the more people that can keep them and it and it be easy for them to to get hold of them, then then the better. Mm. And what what would you say to people listening who maybe have got hybrid hens who will very quickly say, oh well, these pure and rare breeds they cost more money, and you don't get as many eggs from them? What would you say are the the main benefits of 
investing in purer, hardier, traditional breeds as opposed to these more modern, faster mature, endlessly egg-laying hybrids? I know the answer to this, but I'd like I'd like your opinion on it. So it's my my opinion is there's a place for the hybrids and there's a place for the pure breeds. Uh, I I think they're very different. I think that mm. we we have to do our bit to preserve the pure breeds just across with all animals really but with the hens and the ducks especially and they do preserve themselves as well you know where they where they stop laying a little bit in the yeah. winter they tend to live longer they tend to have less ailments um, medical issues sometimes when I'm talking to customers that have decided they want to, they want to move to pure breeds and they'll tell me their story of keeping maybe moving from hybrids and they they've perhaps had a few medical issues along the way which has put them off and I generally don't tend to have any, many issues at all and I don't think many of our customers do either with with pure breeds so they are different they're they're, they're very different mm. very beautiful and I would say much hardier too than a lot of the hybrids against the the elements and as as you've said they they have almost the brain cells to think, oh, I'm going to give myself a, f- selves a few weeks off now between laying before I lay some more eggs. And then they live happier and longer, don't they? Yeah. And I have to say, pure breeds are absolutely beautiful. Mm, yes. <laughs> you know, when you when you think, sadly, when people think of a hen, they think of a brown hen. And mm. they don't, they, you know, they don't necessarily think about, you know, the beautiful lacing or the, or the partridge colours or blues mm. and lavenders. And they really are so beautiful. Yeah. Well, on that note, I would suggest anyone who's listening and infused about purebreed poultry to please check out the Feather and Egg Instagram. And if you totally fall in love with a bird you see on there, do log on to the website where you can get yourself on a waiting list for what Sabrina is going to be hatching. Uh, because you do sell out quite quickly, don't you, of the most popular colours. I always see, oh, we've got more of this, but I've sold out of this this week, but there's a few more growing on. Yeah, there's there's some colours which you know are super popular one year and not the next. There, it, there's no predicting really yeah. as to what's going to be popular. But yeah, we do. Last year we we sold out of everything, you know, by by Christmas, which which was amazing, but and upsetting all at the same time because it you know <laughs> kind of felt like it was over. But this year mm. we bred a bit more, and I hope hopefully that will not happen. But it's it's worth going on the wait list if there's something in particular people are really really wanting. Absolutely. You get the best, most healthiest, happiest young hens for your hen house if you order from Feather and Eggs. So thank you so much for talking to me. It's been really, really fascinating to learn about how you manage so many birds and rear them so beautifully and most importantly, send them out across the, the country so more people can serve these, these beautiful chickens and ducks. So thank you, Sabrina. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange and I really hope that it's inspired you to consider some pure and rare breed chickens this spring if you're not keeping any already. Next week, myself and Sarah are back together and we will be chatting about our favourite seed selections from our range for the coming year. So join us both then. Bye. You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahaven.com.